Welcome to Hidden God, a podcast where we explore issues of theology and culture provided by Tulsa Bible Church. If you'd like more information, check out our website at tulsabible.org. So, Daniel, yes. today is June 2nd. It is. 2021. Yes. The day that you celebrate years of marriage bliss. Yes. With your bride. That is exactly correct. Could not have said it better myself. Happy anniversary, man. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. We've been married for three years. Got it all figured out? Oh, yeah. It was, I mean, after the first year, it was basically a cinch. Yeah. First first year was tough. <laughs> now year, it's, right. all, it's all downhill from it's there. It's all downhill. It's just easy. Easy. Don't let anyone ever tell you that marriage is hard. It's a lie. Yeah. It's the easiest thing in the world. Simple. What's the... Okay. So what's the secret recipe? Don't tell the truth. No. <laughs> <laughs> just as long as neither knows what the other's doing, that's bliss, right? Not, oh, man. This is terrible uh, advice. Marriage is hard. Marriage is difficult. And I can tell you from three years that I have absolutely no clue what I'm doing. <laughs> and I don't know if I'm going to figure it out anytime soon. Um, communication is something we're working on right now. There you go. We're learning communication is key. We're not sure what it's key to, but we know it's key. To something. It's key to something. We think once we get it down, we'll have something figured out. Um, and we don't know how long it'll take to figure it out. Yeah. So. Not three years. Not three years. It's going to be more than that. So if, if you're looking at marriage, if you're someone who's engaged, which I think I, I've seen several of you on Instagram recently getting engaged, it's very exciting. Marriage, yeah, three years down the road, you're still going to have no clue what you're doing. Yeah. Um, can you attest that it takes longer than yeah, that? Yeah, that's that would be my, I would agree 100% yeah. with that sentiment. And I kind of have, here's my theory. I think like the first year, especially if you get married early, mm-hmm. which both of us did, um, the first year's tough. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like learning how to live with somebody of the opposite sex. Right. The second year, there's this phenomenon, especially in sports, they talk a lot about it. It's called the sophomore blues. Hmm. And usually you'll have like this uh, great rookie who comes out and they have an awesome first year, like surprise everybody with their talent, abilities, numbers, statistics, all that kind of stuff. The second year you have high expectations, but it's always kind of like the rookie is just settling in, mm. you know, figured everything out and they tend to have a bad second year. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just a thing, man. So I think marriages experience that too, yeah. which means sure. year three for you mm. is destined to be amazing wow huh so, so it's it's kind of like let's, let's take this away from a sports analogy take it to a nerd analogy now it's like a new hope empire strikes back bam return of the jedi bam year three we uh now is the time to rebuild man all right yeah. coming back man there you go we're coming back hey well well congrats <laughs> on behalf of the staff at tulsa bible church and all your friends all my friends congratulations happy anniversary you guys are doing great thank you I appreciate that. And if you're still married at the end of the year, success. <laughs> That's a success. Great success. That's right. <laughs> so. Take it day by day. Man. So anyway, we are uh, we are on part four of our most recent series. We're calling this Sexuality and Gender on Hidden God. Hope you guys have enjoyed some of the topics, at least, that we've been exploring. We're going to come finish this thing up next time around. Just look at Genesis 1 and 2 in the image of God to wrap it all up. But today we want to talk about a, a term, a phrase that mm. I've never even heard of before. It's it's a thing. It's <laughs> yeah. it's out there. And it's called gender dysphoria. Mm. Have you ever heard of this before? Yes. Yeah. Well, only recently. It's okay. only within the last year or so. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. 
Well, so here's what we're going to do is we're going to define some terms as we start, talk about this craze, this uh, transgender craze and gender dysphoria, mm -hmm. what exactly it is. Um, I've got I've got a little bit of a report that I kind of want to share a paper that's been written about it from a book that both of us have been reading called The uh, uh, Irresistible or um, Damage. Mm -hmm. Is it irre Irreversible, irreversible Damage? Right. Uh, so we'll talk about that just a little bit. Really good book. Uh, startling statistics, really. Yeah. But... When we talk about gender dysphoria, what exactly is this? Yeah, so gender dysphoria, um, it's formerly known as gender identity disorder. Um, and it's characterized by a severe and persistent discomfort in one's biological sex. It typically occurs from ages two to four years old. This is what, you know, you read this book, Irreversible Damage. This is where she begins by yeah. saying gender dysphoria is something that historically as far as we know has only happened between ages two and four and usually in most cases it was with boys not girls yeah. um nearly 70 percent of childhood gender dysphoric uh gender dysphoria resolves by the age by age four or so right so historically it afflicted a tiny percent of the population about 0.01 percent actually and like I said, it was almost exclusively boys. Before 2012, there was no scientific literature on girls ages 11 to 21 ever dis developing gender dysphoria at all. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's only, what, nine years ago? Yeah. Not very long ago at all. Not long ago at all. And in the last decade, it's actually changed drastically, with now over 70% of gender dysphoric cases associated with biological females. Wow. Um in the American Psychiatric Association, they published an article or something, and, and they talk about it's a, it's a manual. It's, it's a, a manual. Uh, okay. This is this is big in mental illness. I've, I've, we've ran into in ministry actually. Mm -hmm. I've ran into quite a few um, instances of mental disorders, mm -hmm. uh, bipolar, personality disorder, schizophrenia, all that kind of stuff, and all of it goes back to to this. Um, the Diagnostic of Statistic Manual of Mental Disorders. It's in mm. its fifth edition. They call it the DSM-5. Mm. And it's something that they go back to and they trace trends in statistics. It's really fascinating. Interesting. Do you have a copy of this on your shelf? I do not, but okay. I th but I think you can I think you can access a lot of this stuff online. Okay. I'm pretty sure it's uh it's readily available. Okay. Well, in the information that we have from it, they defined um, at least six conditions of gender dysphoria, and the, those six conditions are. Actually, eight of them we have. Eight conditions are, one, a strong desire to be of the other gender, two, a strong preference for cross-dressing or stimulating attire of the opposite sex, three, strong preference for cross-gender roles and make-believe, strong preference for toys, games, or activities typically associated with the opposite sex, strong preference for playmates of other gender, strong rejection of toys, games, and activities activities associated with the opposite sex, a strong dislike of personal biological anatomy, and a strong desire for the primary or secondary sex characteristics that matches one's experienced gender. It's, it's interesting, yeah. So if you have six of those eight things, uh -huh. they would, this manual at mm -hmm. least put out by the American Psychiatric Association would say that you probably have the the diagnoses mm -hmm. clinical diagnoses of be, being gender dysphoric. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. That's and that's really I mean kind of reading these is very broad. Very broad. Honestly, this is extremely broad. So why is this growing so rapidly? It really is taking off yeah. and the the culture today has been 
kind of floored by this. It's taken off its uh, uh, pedestal, for instance. It's it's upsetting the trends of everything, and the the amount, the percentage increases that we're about to read are are pretty mind-boggling. It's it's really shocking what's mm-hmm. going on in the gender dysphoria, the transgender world right now. But between 2016 and 2017, gender surgeries in the United States of biological females quadrupled. Hmm. Quadrupled wow. in in one year. These gender sur- surgeries went up that much. Women accounted for 70% of those. So we're talking about a, a female issue. This book that we're talking about is... Uh, um, dedicated towards daughters, toward biological females. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she's going to point out a lot of trends associated with biological women. In 2018 in the UK, there was a 4,400% increase of teen girls seeking gender surgeries. Like wow. 4,400% of it. Oh you're, you're talking drastic change. Canada, Sweden, Finland, UK, huge increases across the board. Yeah. In the last decade, gender dysphoria has surged in the US by over 1,000%. And by far, the majority of that surge has been from biological females. And, you know, obviously, there are several reasons. Uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about the findings and some reports from this. But the lady who wrote the book that we're talking about, Irreversible Damage, the subtitle is The Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters. Her name is Abigail Schreier. And, and here's what she says in this book. She says, for these girls, trans identification offers freedom from anxiety's relentless pursuit. It satisfies the deepest need of acceptance, the thrill of transgression, you know, just sinning for the heck of it, and the seductive lilt of belonging. Mm. Uh, and, th- and this is uh, this is amazing. So she's saying a lot of people are pursuing a transgender identity mm-hmm. for the heck of it, for the thrill of it, um, and also because they're they're struggling deep down with anxiety and depression mm-hmm. in their peer groups, which is uh, a pretty fascinating finding. Uh, but what's what's so interesting? Let's talk about this about her book. What's so interesting and compelling? about what she's written here. Well, she gives an entire chapter to a study of transgender patterns. Um, She references Dr. Lisa Littman, who is an OBGYN, and she became a public health researcher at Brown University. Um, And she she noticed a statistical trend that several girls in a small town, Rhode Island, who were in the same friend group, identified as transgender. And Littman conducted a study, and she wrote a paper on it. And what she found was that 65% of adolescent girls who discovered transgender identity had done so after a prolonged period of social media immersion. The prevalence of transgender identity within the same peer group was more than 70% times the expected rate wow so clearly whatever's going on here this this study that she does it it clearly social media is linked in some sort of way right um and we're going to talk more about how it how it links into that but but what was her conclusion what did her research find yeah dr Littman's conclusion was the transgender craze is largely due to what she labels peer contagion Hmm. we would say you know the old school peer pressure right Uh, She surveyed over 250 families and girls who identified as transgender. In the progressive media, social activists went crazy. She came out with a paper. She publicized that one of the biggest reasons for the increase in the transgender population is because of of peer contagion, of, of the social media's influence on these girls, especially 
who are, are struggling with anxiety, looking for a peer group, they find it, they find that identity in a transgender group and the, the statistics and the percentages just go up exponentially. Mm. The progressive media gets a hold of, of her findings, of Littman's findings, and the LGBTQ proponents rushed to debunk her study, mm. like just to, to disgrace it, to make sure that it is not let out in the media. This is uh, poor science, poor uh, research, and it needs to be dealt with. And they claimed that she was a conservative bigot, which is actually interesting because Littman has never voted Republican in her entire <laughs> life. She's actually helped and and been a part of Planned Parenthood in the past, which is, wow. has distinctively been associated more with the left than with the right. Right. Um, over 85% of the parents surveyed in her study self-identified as LGBT, LGBTQ supporters. Wow. So she's not identifying families that are just conservative, mm -hmm. doing her writings and findings from those. 85, the, by far the majority, over the majority of the people that she surveyed were supporters of gay rights. So clearly this is not a biased uh, publishing. And they wanted to make it that way. Wow. But it, but it wasn't. Wow. And, and all of this happened in the university context. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and Brown University sucks they immediately acquiesced and they bowed down to the lgbt community they pulled her paper from their websites they apologized to the press they suggested actually that Littman's research was filled with methodological errors and they said things like parents reports are inadequate to assess a child's mental health i don't really know where else you would assess a child's mental health <laughs> who, who knows a, a child better than the parents exactly right but okay um, and, and Littman's report actually openly stated in the title that it was a parent-informed study. So it's not like she made all these findings and then hid the fact that it all came from parents. Right. It was right from the start. This is coming from the parents, which honestly is the best source. Yeah. But what, what happened after that? Well, Littman's report became widely discussed. Her conclusions actually drew praise from world-renowned experts on gender dysphoria. Hmm. The, across the world, people were reading this and saying, wow, this is amazing research. This is really well done. And they were thankful for her findings. Mm -hmm. it, it helped them and, and gave them some association with, with what's going on here in the lives of these uh, teen girls. But nevertheless, the, the left-wing media and the progressives still labeled her as a, as a bully, as a bigot. You know, she was obviously against these, the LGBT community. Psych Psychology Today, very famous um, psychology uh, publishing. They, they do articles. I've read some of their articles before, and, and man, some of them are extremely helpful, mm -hmm. to be honest. But even they ran an article to refute Littman's findings from her study. Mm -hmm. The activist began to target Littman. They complained to the DOH, the Department of Health, demanded that she be fired from her post, her research position, wow. and, and, get this, a transgender bathroom be added to their facility, which, <laughs> which she worked at. And get this, like all of it happened. So they complained to the DOH. The DOH is like, yep, you're right. We're going to get rid of her. We don't want any association oh with this bullying, this bigoting stuff that they were claiming that she was doing, which yeah. was totally fabrications in the first place. Yeah. And they just acquiesced to it. Um, they just got rid of her, went on and, and here we go. And, and now we're in the situation that we are. Wow. Um, Littman compares the transgender craze with eating disorders as part of her findings. Um, and she finds like, there's these websites, if you have uh, bulimia, bulimia, 
anorexia, for -hmm. instance, um, people can go to their websites and they can learn how to eat the smallest amount of food and not feel like they're hungry. Mm -hmm. They can get tips on, you know, how to, how to do their eating disorder well. Mm -hmm. And it even says stuff like you need to convince your parents that you really are eating. So when they're gone, make sure you leave out an empty bowl of cereal Mm -hmm. that convinces them when they came home, Hey, you had a bowl of cereal or a empty pizza box or something like that. And in reality, it's just all a lie Mm -hmm. throw the pizza away throw the cereal down the garbage disposal and go from there. Um, but she concluded that there's a pattern to all this, a daughter with, with social struggles, anxiety struggles, um, has no sexual issues as a young person. They enter their teen careers. They get into high school. They fall into a group of transgender friends. This daughter joins them. Their mental health health begins to worsen. It decreases. Mm. Girls become angry. They become very hostile to their parents, and and they notice these things even in the home. Mm. So she surveyed 256 parents whose kids did not meet the criteria for gender dysphoria as a child, in which you would think from the age of two to four, mm-hmm. like we said before, this is where it would show up at the beginning. Right. None of these kids had gender dysphoria as a child. They didn't meet six of those eight requirements that you were reading before right suddenly as a teen all of a sudden they've got gender dysphoria Hmm. and it's where did this come from and here's where here's the statistics over 80 percent of the teens that that happened to were female on average the age was 16 Hmm. 16.4 she gets down to it a third of them did not seem gender dysphoric at all according to their parents two-thirds might have shown some signs but not enough of the of the eight to be categorized that way. The majority had one or more psychiatric diagnosis, a clinical mental illness. The majority of these teenage girls had nearly half were assessed as academically gifted, very bright, intelligent girls that we're dealing with. 70% had a peer group with at least one transgender friend in it. I think that's significant. Mm -hmm. 65% increased their social media time immediately prior to the announcement to them coming out to the world as transgender Mm -hmm. over 90. This is, this is really interesting. Over 90% of these girls are white. Hmm. This is predominantly nine out of 10 transgender are white. Interesting. rather than any other ethnicity. That's interesting. 85% of their parents support gay rights of these girls. Mm. 88% of their parents support transgender rights. So this is not an issue of bigotry, um, prejudice against these, these you know minority groups or anything. And fewer than 13% of parents believe that their kids' mental health improved after announcing that wow. they were transgender. Wow. So. So, man, this is going to improve my mental health. I'm going to feel so much better about myself. Mm, most most likely not. Yeah. Not wow. going to happen. That's fascinating. And, and so what, it's, what's fascinating to me, especially that percentage, that, that statistic you shared about, 65% increased social media time immediately prior to announcement of being transgender. Yeah. It seems from everything we're talking about, social media is playing a huge role. Being influenced by the world around us is playing a huge role. Um, and, and one one image very specifically that's going around on social media um, being published by the, uh, people who are genderqueer or pro the genderqueer movement um, is called the genderbred 
person. So it's it's compared to like a gingerbread man. Yeah. If you all know what a gingerbread man looks like, they take a gingerbread man and then they, they call it the gingerbread person and they use this as a diagram. And on the gingerbread person, you have three parts to them, the brain, the heart, and then the genitals. And the brain is supposed to, they, they say there's these little arrows pointing to each part to the brain, they point to um, identity. And then to the heart, to orientation, and then to the genitals, your sex. And this image is going, it's, it's all over the internet. You can Google it, genderbred person. And so and I'm sharing it just because I feel like we all need to, need to know about it. But the idea is you can be, you can identify as a man or a woman or genderqueer in your brain but have the sex of a male or a female, it doesn't matter. And then in your heart, you can be whatever sexual orientation you want. So you could be a biological female who identifies as a man, but orientates as heterosexual or intersexual. Right. It's it's this puzzle that they allow themselves. It's like they're, they've turned themselves into jigsaw puzzles. Right. Become whatever you want to be in any way that you want to be it. Right. Pretty sad. It is very sad. And it's a, it's a, it's a mutilation of God's creation. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it is sad because it's, it's a misconception as well. No doubt about it. Well, what do we, what do we do with all this? We've talked about a lot of statistics here. Yeah. This, uh, Dr. Littman's findings and reports are shocking mm-hmm. to me. And you see the a progressive attempt to, to silence those findings mm-hmm. in those statistics, not wanting to deal with some of the realities that at least she's coming up with yeah. on these things. How do we how do we deal with this from a pastoral perspective, from a biblical perspective? It's a good question. If I, I mean, and I'm really very specifically going to talk to teenagers. Um, that's my specialty. And uh, right on. <laughs> so. I mean, okay, so we can, you and I can sit here and we can talk about the facts. We can talk about statistics. People much smarter than us can publish, you know, articles and and journals and all kinds of things about the facts and the statistics of what's going on. But at the end of the day, when you're a high schooler, when you're a 16-year-old girl or or a 15-year-old boy or whatever it is, and you're in middle school or high school, the facts and the statistics don't really matter a whole lot to you. What matters is what you feel. Right. And so you and I can talk about the facts and we can spit facts to people, but that doesn't really matter a whole lot to them. Right. What matters is what they feel. I feel like I don't fit in. I feel attracted to the same sex. I feel uncomfortable with my body. I feel like this is just isn't something's wrong inside of me. Right. And these answers seem to feel right. Mm-hmm. That's really at the end of the day, that's what's going to, that's what makes the difference. And so if I'm talking to teenagers here, if there's any teenagers listening, my, I want to tell you what you feel is valid mm-hmm. and, and, and we can talk about st- stats and facts, but truthfully, what you feel is valid. Your feelings are real. They are real. Yep. Right. They're not, it's not like we're saying they don't matter. They right. do matter. Right. Absolutely. And, and actually they're going to help you figure out who you really are, but we can't rely entirely on our feelings. Um, the enemy is very aware of how you feel and he's very good at manipulating our emotions and, and, and our feelings. If you look at Genesis chapter 19, um, if you're familiar with the story of Lot, you know, Abraham's nephew, Abraham's nephew, Abraham and Lot were once together and then they split off and Lot went down to this area, which became known as Sodom and Gomorrah, Gomorrah, um, these two cities. And then we don't see Lot for a while, but when we come back to Lot, his, the entire city that he's surrounded by is wrapped up in sexual immorality. And God actually ends up destroying the city because of it, but he saves Lot. 
Well, by the time the city's destroyed, he saves Lot and Lot's daughters. They're the only ones who make it out of there. And in in Genesis chapter 19 ends with Lot's daughters very concerned about the fact that they don't have any kids Mm -hmm. and they're afraid the family line's not going to continue. And they end up seducing their dad, getting him drunk and seducing him and having sex with him. It's gross. It's gross. It's disgusting. But it's real. And what they do, they pursue a solution to what they feel is wrong in a way that they own, a way that they understand. Hmm. What happened was they went down to this city. They isolated themselves from the only other follower of God that they knew, who was Abraham. They isolated themselves from him, went to this city, and were surrounded by a culture, by people they became that they knew and they began to trust as friends. They surrounded themselves by these people who said, these ways are okay. These ways solve our issues. And when they came out of it, they didn't know what else to do. Right. And that's the way the enemy likes to work. He isolates us from a community of believers. He puts us in a group of people who are just as confused as everyone else. Hmm. And he presents us with temptation. And he presents us with manipulation. He uses that temptation to manipulate us. So if I'm talking to teenagers, and, and, and you all, I mean, if you're having thoughts or feelings um, of confusion or uh, discomfort with your own body or your own sexual orientation or whatever, I want you to know that you're not alone in that. You're not the only person who's ever felt that. And it's okay to talk about those things right. with a group of solid believers. You don't want to surround yourself with people who don't know the truth of Christ, but rather hold on tight to the relationships you have within the church who know and love God and form those kinds of friendships that you can share those feelings with and those concerns with. Right. That's great. And and so much of this is wrapped up in, like you said, in people's feelings and their exactly. desires. Yeah. And we just have to be really, really careful when we're dealing with those things outside of um, a, a biblical sense of, of what feelings truly are. Yeah. And how they're oriented, they, they will ultimately only be fulfilled mm-hmm. in Christ and in, in who he is. Yeah. And so when we pursue satisfaction, desires, feelings, and things that are outside of his uh, revealed will to us in scripture, that is going to put you down a path in a cycle that will only lead to more frustration. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I find very fascinating this this idea that a lot of people are turning to transgender hoping that their mental state will improve. Yeah. And then you've got like 10, 13% of people where it actually happens compared to That's right. like nine out of 10 of them, their mental illness is getting worse. That's right. It's not getting better. Yeah. And so insanity, it's doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Like, hello, yeah. this is not going to end well, yeah. you know? And, um, and when you look for those worldly solutions to, uh, spiritual problems, man, it's, it's, you're going to go down a wrong path really quick. So, yeah. I mean, if history shows us anything is that the world knows how to screw everything up. Yeah. So if the advice is coming from the world, I would take it with a grain of salt. Right. You know, right. Yeah. Yeah. C.S. Lewis has got a great quote that, um, the history of man is, is just one person after another trying to find satisfaction in something other than God. That's yeah. And that's exactly right. This is the story of sin yes. man. it's the story of our world. Uh, so you address the teens. Let me address the parents really quick. Uh, the first, let me just start this with a, a note of grace here. You can be the best parent in the world. You can do everything uh, completely with the utmost integrity, character, following the biblical 
prescriptions and parameters that we have and yet still you face sexual issues with your children yeah you could still have a rebellious kid you could still face the challenges of uh of raising a child in a way that you don't agree with and and all the other things that go along with this parents just know if the people that are successful parents however we're going to term that or deem that according to scripture they are that way because of the grace of god you know, there's no other reason for it. It's, we're not, no parent is going to be able to look to themselves and say, see what I did to raise my child in the right way. Mm. Look at me, look at all my philosophies. Look at my, no, the grace of God is the one thing that we're going to be able to look back to as parents to say, you know what? God's grace overshadowed everything I did. And despite my failures, despite my weaknesses and my own personal sin, God still redeemed the situation. He still brought beauty from, from my parenting and, and whatever it might be. So, so let's just saturate all parenting under the stewardship of God's grace. Mm. You know, he's the one that, that carries these things out. We still have responsibilities. We still have obligations. We still have biblical uh, prescriptions and principles that we carry out, but ultimately it's, it's God's goodness and grace. That's gonna, gonna lead the way. And you know, just look at, just look at, um, God, his firstborn child is Israel, mm-hmm. Exodus chapter four. Mm-hmm. Israel's been a wayward child since the get go. Um, you would say that, that God, the father would be somewhat of a dysfunctional parent because he's got a wayward son, right? Israel. And we all know that he is the perfect God. There's, there's no fault in him. He is holy. He is good. He is righteous. And so yet we, he still has a child that's been wayward and, and Israel is still wayward, wet, mm-hmm. waiting to be called back to redemption. So, um, but if I can give one, one piece of advice, I would say, talk about sexuality with your kids. There's a lot of great resources out there. Family life does passport for purity. When your kids turn 10, nine, 11, that age, before they hit that age of puberty, parents be the ones to address these things, have the difficult conversation. If it's difficult for you to have it, you didn't have it from your parents when you were a kid, there are resources, really great resources out there. Passport for purity being one of them. Mm. Mark Gregston has written a book called tough guys and drama Queens. If you don't understand the world in which teens are growing up today, authority structures being trampled, um, just the rebellious teenager that we see over and over again, tough guys and drama Queens is a great place to start. He just, mm-hmm. he just describes it really well. Gregston was a, a leader founder of Heartlight ministries in Texas, where he does, a. um, crisis counseling with teens. It's a live in camp Hmm. for teenagers. He's worked with all kinds of situations and his, his findings are really good. Brandy right now is reading a book called the teenage brain. Hmm. Uh, she just started it. She highly recommends it. It's the subtitle is a neuro neuroscientists survival guide to raising adolescents and young adults. It's printed in 2015. The doctor associated with it is Francis Jensen. Um, it's been updated once since then New York times bestseller talks a lot about how addictions and how the brain works in the Mm. teenage mind before we used to think that teens were had an adult brain it just needed more time to develop Mm -hmm. and grow and so as a parent you raise your teens as an adult just peel back the layers eventually they they grow to maturity they're realizing now that that's not the case Uh, teens are much more susceptible to addiction patterns 
um, to behavioral social cues that are just uh, things are happening in the brain that they're studying now and the findings are are very informative hmm. uh, for for engaging things like social media mm-hmm. you know and dealing with addictions and and sexual behaviors so I would recommend that one uh, haven't made it all the way through it but Teenage Brain by Francis Jensen. And this is going to sound really, really cliche, okay? But, you know, pastors, you hear this counsel all the time, but it really is, it's easier said than done. This is a a key thing that all of our parents need to keep in front of them. Something that I have even struggled with with my own kids because I wasn't raised in this way, but it sounds super simple. It's harder than it sounds. And that is this. Parents, disciple your kids. Mm. Uh, teach them the scriptures. Teach them how to how to act and how to be a mature man or woman of God. Teach them what it means to live in wisdom. Teach the Proverbs mm. to your kids. Uh, teach them about their identity in Christ, being created in the image of God and male and female. And, and once, if you have that relationship to your kids, it's not an issue. I'm, I'm talking way too much here, but... If they want to find solutions that they want to find, it's out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, the resources available to you on the internet will tell you that it's not, it's not a matter of this person has a solution. This person doesn't, mm-hmm. the solutions are rampant. They're, they're, they're out there anywhere you find. So if you want to dig for a solution to a sexual identity problem, my goodness, you're going to come across all kinds of stuff. What you have to do is raise our kids in a way that they know how to work through those resources for themselves, to think for themselves. Is this really a source of information that I can trust? Right. Is this something that I should put like kind of on the top shelf of my resource list versus maybe, you know, a good idea right? or something like that? Parents, we need to disciple our kids. We need to take them to this idea of, of, of loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Um, Deuteronomy 6, teach the commandments to your children. Speak of them as you sit in your house, as you walk along the road, as you lie down, and as you get up. There's only four times you need to teach your kids the word of God. When you sit, when you walk, when you lie down, and when you get up, right? All the time, keep the word of God in front of your kids, but do so in a very relational way. Um, Deuteronomy 6, 8, you should tie them as a reminder around your forearm, fasten them as symbols to your forehead, inscribe them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. Uh, just, just this whole principle of develop, help them develop a worldview. So they start to see things through the lens of truth and of scripture rather than through the lens of the culture. Mm. Um, if we disciple our kids, we're going to go a a really long way toward, um, long-term relationships where trust will be built in in just a, a a very relational way for the long haul. So lastly, I want to just give a, a quick segue to next week. And this is how we're going to, we're just going to close off the sexuality and gender study. Yeah. And that's by looking at Genesis 1 and being created in the image of God. We read this passage before. Mm. I want to read it again. I think this is so key to all the sexuality, revolution, identities, orientation stuff that we're seeing out there. We've got to go back to Genesis 1, how God created us. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image after our likeness, so they may rule over the fish of the sea, of the birds, the air, of the cattle, and over all of the earth, and over all the creatures that move on the earth. 
God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them and he blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful, and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish, of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every creature that moves on the ground. And now I give you every seed bearing plant for you on the face of the earth is the cultural mandate. The descriptions that we have from Genesis one will prove to be a bedrock for us and they will ultimately lead us to the person of Christ. Hmm. That's what we're going to talk about next week. Very exciting. Very exciting. Looking forward to it. We'll see you all then. See you guys.